if you want acid, it's always such a fucking pain in the hoop to get. I I looked out a couple of years ago, and there was a, an analog called One PLSD doing the rounds, and it was before Theresa May brought in the the fucking psychoactives bill. Mm. And because it was an an analog, basically you you take it and your body breaks it down into LSD. Right. Uh, but it wasn't actually LSD on the tabs. Uh, so me and Mrs. bought a hundred between us. <laughs> so we we you haven't stopped tripping yet. Uh, I'm, I'm getting a bit old for it now. I'm like I'm six hundred like, years old. Do you know? That? <laughs> I'm fucking uh, like mushrooms. That's a nice four or five hour trip, and you kind of come down at the right time. But yeah. you get to about seven hours in, and you're like, oh god. Well, that's why microdosing so much better. Yeah, I do enjoy microdose. This has become the Joe Rogan fucking podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I have actually tried DMT as well. <laughs> So welcome to the Anime Podcast. Uh, this week we have a bit of a difference, a different kind of conversation. Uh, it's going to be there's not going to be much structure. Uh, it's going to be a back and forth between uh, the four of us. Uh, our topic this week is broadly speaking uh, how the working class are fetishized by middle class uh, <laughs> champagne socialists. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean the m person who has the most experience with this, and probably the person who has the most street cred with the plebs, as they call them on the street, is Dan. So what's your gripe, Dan? Um, it, it's just the sense that sort of working class culture is appropriated by the middle class, and yet they seem to despise us. Um, and in the ways that they don't despise you, they sort of fetishize and kind of objectify you. And I, I'd, I'd just be interested because, because you guys are a bit more well-heeled than me. Um, I'd be interested to see perspective from the other side of the fence, especially from people that uh, kind of do understand my perspective on this, whereas a lot of sort of middle class, your interactions with middle class people, they just don't understand. They don't see it at all. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the point I would raise there is like, am I whale healed? I live on a boat, but it's not a big boat either. Uh, <laughs> I'm downgrading to a log. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I do get that. I mean, growing up, uh, or rather going to university, two universities where there was a lot of that kind of faux uh, populism, I suppose, by the left, uh, mostly kind of very well-educated, very wealthy kind of champagne socialists. I do get that kind of fetishization. Um, I remember in school, there was a moment when, uh, I was probably about 13 or 14 years old, when kids started wearing tracksuits who'd never worn tracksuits before and started adopting a, like a, a North Dublin accent when they'd had the most middle-class Dublin accent, my accent basically. And I was like, what, what's going on? I, I don't get that because like, I, I would probably class myself lower middle-class because of I, my parents like rented, they, they were both like teachers. They never had that much money. Um, we didn't go on holidays. Like that wasn't part of our life. Whereas these people had like giant houses and the wealthiest part of Dublin. And I was I didn't get it. And and I do think there is a fetishization there, which is like a simultaneously hating the working class and frightened of them, but also kind of seeing like street cred. I suppose the same way that some white Americans take on African American mannerisms. You know what I mean? That would be a UK, uh, well, an American equivalent of what happens over here. Like, like yourself, I wasn't really aware of it until I went to high school because 
like the the area I live in, it was sort of you had a primary, a separate middle school, which was up until the age of twelve, thirteen, and then I went to high school, and because the high school was a, a catchment for an area that's both pretty deprived and quite wealthy, uh, sort of, it was my first real encounter of it, and like the the primary school and the middle school were right next to each other, and it catered for sort of the area I live and the area next to where I live and both pretty impoverished. So you were kind of on an even keel and I didn't really, I guess it was my first really sort of sense of class consciousness. Not that I knew that that was what it was when there were people taking the piss out of me, not so much for the way I speak because everyone kind of speaks the same around here, but uh, the clothes I was wearing, even though it was school uniform, it wasn't super expensive shirts and trousers and all that sort of stuff. It really had a, an impact on me, and I guess it's kind of stuck with me because I fucking despise it. I really do. That kind of uh, it's, it's the sense of that you're just scum, and even when people are kind of pleasant to you, you kind of get that sense of feeling like that's actually what they really think. Like just to like make you feel even worse about yourself, Dan. Um, it's not something I do. Like, and I like always kick off about it. But we um, have various like schemes in schools to try and get like the working class kids, which in my school is all of them, to try and I suppose like mimic the language patterns of like middle class kids. So like we'll get them to like write out CVs as if they're middle class. We'll get them to like use sentences in the way that middle class person would use sentences. We try and improve their vocabulary. I say improve, like we try and change the vocabulary um, to more resemble or like to more closely resemble a middle class person. We try and like stamp out like dialect and like localized vernacular as well. It's something like all schools are keen on. And when I kind of kick off about this, the rationale that's given is that um, employers don't want working class people to work for them. They want everyone to pretend or to buy into this middle class um, like way of doing things or this middle class ideal. I suppose like when we kind of like look at who rules us, um, the British people, specifically the English people, and um, talk back to our last episode, seem to like associate a certain type of person with being like a legitimate authority figure. So if you've got like an accent from Hampshire or Berkshire or somewhere like this, people will trust you more than if you've got an accent from like Liverpool or Manchester. Um, so it's like, it, it makes me sad that you've obviously kind of recognised this from your secondary school days. And it makes me even sadder that it's still going on now. I mean, that's the kind of the caste system again episode we did i think two weeks ago uh which i i kind of expressed my view there's a caste system in the uk how does that though play into the type of playing at working class no i was just saying how does that play into the, the desire by some middle class or a lot of middle class people to play in the pool of working class kind of cool but not without having any of the t uh, being tainted by being part of that class so in the Jarvis cocker pulp um song um common people like where does that come into it it's a weird one i would actually like to find out the exact pinpoint where this happened and exactly how it happened but um to put it in a, a sort of historical standpoint in the 60s that was really the first time that working class culture in the uk became something that actually existed that you would see on tv and it came from the fact that you know bands 
were on the dole, like vinyl was had the ability to be produced a lot cheaper than it had been in say the forties. Uh, you had more record companies, more people were buying records. There was teenagers, which was a new invention. Like you had cheaper housing, you were on the dole. All these things meant you saw a shift from basically like all you would get on the BBC would just be things like um, how to make bunting to, you know, you ended up with things like a play for today or, you know, you had people making albums. Like I'm not sure if like the kinks are working class, but I mean, the Beatles were from working class background, et cetera, et cetera. So Will, I just saw Will is like, rolling his eyes. I just fucking hate the Beatles so much. I don't know. I'm so sorry. And I know it's like really <laughs> unpopular and I apologize. And I know that I'm in the wrong, but I just, I really fucking hate the Beatles. I just hate them. They just reinvented music. <laughs> How dare they? <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So you see, you know, people like Michael Caine, who comes from a working class background, like he was now an actor that was getting work that was in like films that were being shown around the world. Sean Connery, he's from a working class background. He was, you know, James Bond. And so before that, that just didn't exist in British culture. If you were a writer, you were always middle class. You were always from the aristocracy and you were always, um, you know, someone like Emma. Talk about George Orwell, James, and how he wrote Down and Out in Paris and London. <laughs> oh, yeah, Mr. Slumming It. Mr. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The John Harris of the 1940s. Um, they both have weird hair as well, I guess. I don't understand exactly how it happened. But at some point, it was like in British culture, it became the idea that being working class was authentic. So yeah, part of it comes from something like Saturday Night, Sunday Morning as a book is one of the best books written in, you know, in England. And it, it just is from, you know, from like fucking, it goes Byron. And then it goes like these guys, there's like this huge gap where the rest of it is just like Brideshead revisited, like, you know, apart from someone like Arthur Mackin, who again, you know, wasn't working class, he slummed it, but he had to, um, you know, he died penniless, but that was sort of his choice because he wrote weird stuff rather than just produce the sort of like Max Bieberholm things that were, that were going out at the time. It became like, oh, you have to be, being working class is being authentic. And it never, it then became a fetishization because it's somehow like uh, the working class have some sort of like secret knowledge of being happy. And, you know, some of it seems to come from the way that Cockneys somehow ended up with such a, a power over British culture, um, even being like a minority in London. And it's, I think it's just because they walk around going like, ooga booga, apples and pears. And they seem so happy, um, even if they're going to cut you up. I don't know, like because of Del Boy and the whole kind of Only Fools and Horses kind of phenomenon of the 80s and the early 90s, that it was just kind of like, ah, Del Boy, he knows where it is, you know, that type of. But, you know, that, but, that, yeah, but I mean, I could be wrong, but isn't um, the actor who played Del Boy also middle class and public school educated? Um, I'm not sure off the top of my head. A lot of like primetime TV guys of a certain age. Lots of them were working class because comedy was a working class thing. You know, you didn't do comedy unless, you know, you were doing the workmen's club scene. So, yeah, a lot of them are. I, I can't go through all of them off the top of my head because, you know, I have to remember exactly. But, like, like I think it's like one of the, like, Morecambe was working class, but why is, you know, from a, from a broader class background. But, yeah, th that gives way to this 
Like you, you now have to be being working class is somehow authentic. Did you guys ever see like that thing where I think in 2012 the conservative like front bench were trying to pretend to be working class or like sorry not working class and um, quote unquote ordinary people and I think it was provoked by David Cameron describing himself as middle class where clearly David Cameron is a member of the aristocracy and he's like married to a member of the aristocracy but they went around with cameras like asking various conservative politicians if they were working class or middle class or whatever and um, someone put a camera in front of Jacob Rees-Mogg and they said, oh, Mr. Rees-Mogg, are you middle class? And Jacob Rees-Mogg said, oh, yes, I'm very, I'm, you know, I'm very much uh, of the people, you know, vox populi, vox dei. Um, and like gave this like fucking bullshit Latin answer to like prove his working class credentials. Um, it was just, it was fucking gold. But like the thing I find most interesting about Dan's thing is how does this fade into the type of labor movement that or at least the labor party i suppose better better point over the last 30 years because there is an element there of you know from you know the kind of technocratic bureaucrats saying oh, oh you know the plebs as long as they um you know they'll keep our red wall as long as we you know feed them some the odd bit of anti-immigrant sentiment on one side and the other side will have i daniel blake or a movie by ken loach to make them feel you know warm inside um it's it's a weird kind of Kind of it's it's obviously classic objectification but there's this element of i don't just disgust you know barely concealed disgust while at the same time wanting to call yourself working class because your granddad was a chimney sweep you know see i th i think the the stuff like i daniel blake that's that's made for a middle class audience that's made to make them feel outraged but also good about their own position and i think like uh, uh, some of the stuff with the red wall i feel like people recognizing authenticity someone would rather vote for someone like boris johnson because they have that attitude of being born to rule and they own it i mean he's not ashamed of who he is whereas a lot of these sort of more middle class liberals they they kind of like the inauthenticity of trying to be like oh i'm just like you i'm a member of the working class i think people really pick up on that and they don't like it i don't like it because it's 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 not genuine. I, I I don't mind people who are themselves. Um, even if they're utter bastards, if they fucking own it, then I can at least respect the fact that they own it. How do you do, fellow prol? <laughs> yeah, basically. But that doesn't extend to Jacob Rees-Mogg, though. Do he's just a cunt, isn't he? <laughs> well, that's different, because he's just a, he's a sociopath, so that makes a big difference. Yeah, and I suppose like Tony Blair was pretty keen on trying to pretend he was working class, right? Like, didn't he like have Oasis and all like these like working class bands come around to Downing Street and shit to try and show that he was like in touch with the ordinary English person? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think at the time he could get away with it because I think when your when your whole political project was trying to ostensibly even though it didn't end up being that way, raise up the working class. I think people will accept it because you're trying to make their lives a bit better. But when it's someone like Cameron and my favourite bands, the Arctic Monkeys, fuck off. Never even fucking heard of them until the day before that interview. The Arctic Monkeys should just fuck off anyway. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a different matter, but I do agree. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there was this really weird thing that happened, though, in working class culture, which, because there's so much gatekeeping, there's so much interesting stuff that potentially could happen, but it's not allowed. It's like, oh, as long as you make sure that you fit within this narrative of what the working class is, 
you know, as long as you're acting like you're straight from EastEnders or Train Spotting, um, you've got no hope of getting on TV or uh, getting an album out. And so it was basically just like working class culture became, oh yeah, let's just do what we did in the 80s and what we did in the 90s and then just do that ad nauseum. The Arctic Monkeys are just like, they sounded like they came from the 80s. It's just so fucking boring and like so we've already been here it is a little bit better now there's something there you know there's little programs here and there that sort of break through the um the stratosphere it's just like no one that's working class has the money to fucking sit and become an artist anymore so <laughs> we require you know the upper class people to pretend that they're you know working class to represent us on on the tv didn't Oasis recently say, I don't know if it was recent, but didn't they recently say that um, that the reason they were able to become musicians and form a band was because the benefit system back when they were like starting out was like not generous, but like was was livable. Yeah. Wasn't that a thing they kind of came out with? Tom, Tom Jones also said the same thing. It's true, like up and down, like uh, Iron Maiden, um, Def Leppard. Um, what was the one that Ozzy Osbourne was in? Black Sabbath. Like lots of folk bands, uh, like Linda's Farn. James, James, it extends into comedians because Alexi Sale used to say the same thing. Well, maybe not Alexi Sale, but maybe Stuart Lee and others said that in the eighties that there was like a, a, a top up of like fifty pounds for comedians on the dole as long as you went in. Like Thatcher brought this in that as long as you were doing gigs, uh, you could go in and basically like once a month and you just have to prove you'd done gigs and they would give you the doll plus 50 pounds. Yeah. Uh, but that's because Thatcher, like, she had, um, she had an ideology. It's not one that we agree with and we didn't like, but at least it, it was a coherent system that she had. And she wanted people like small business owners to be able to like become billionaires effectively and screw everyone else. But she would give the framework for that to happen. And a comedian was a small business owner. But the problem is like by the time that Cameron gets in, the, the, their only ideology is fuck everyone that isn't us. But can, can I ask uh, Dan a question? Because one of the things you wanted to talk about with this is the simultaneous fetishization but, uh, of the working class, but also how a lot of working class people are dicks. Because uh, you were saying basically, yeah, they're really a lot of them are fucking assholes, or a lot of people are assholes anyway, I suppose. But that, that you maybe felt that that part of it wasn't ever like it was simultaneously you were the working class people were villainized, but also fetishized, and there was just no kind of middle ground where some people could be assholes and dicks and and, and conservative even. You know, what do you want to think? What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it it seems. Like, like James said, there's basically a certain amount of archetypes that you're supposed to fit into. Um, you can be a, like a working class hero or you're just like a, a scum class criminal or you're a doll waller, but you can't be anything in between. And there's, there's this weird thing that's it's been going on for a while. I, I, as I said, I got into an argument on the fucking Guardian website and it was in the comments and someone was... They were talking about, I think it was the EDL doing a protest march, and someone on there was making the point that, oh, these these are people that have been left behind, and you know, it's we need to listen to them and all this sort of stuff. And I got banned because I said, well, no, because when I look at my own sort of Facebook timeline, the people that support these people, they're the fucking dickheads and the idiots. They didn't do fuck all in school. I mean, 
it's not like the education system is brilliant, but there's enough there that you can get, give yourself a half decent education or at least a sort of foothold to go further in life if you want. But these people didn't participate. Or well, they would they disrupt everything. They, they weren't interested. And then they're sort of paying the price later in life and they're blaming other people for it, for their own failings. And you to, to say that sort of thing is, it's like a heresy almost. It's like, if, if you don't fit into a particular idea of what working class is for some people, it's all of a sudden you're like a, a sneering middle class Islington fucking, you know, labor supporting champagne socialist. I mean, the, the, the amount of times I've been called middle class because I supported Corbyn, it boggles my fucking mind. And not only that, but from both the right and the left or what's supposed to be the left anyway. And, it's absolutely fucking bizarre to me that people wouldn't understand why someone who is working class would support someone that wants to make my life better. But I mean, I suppose maybe Will can talk about that because he was lit in the Labour Party and ran in a seat. We won't say where, but ran in a seat somewhere in the UK. What was the Labour Party's, the kind of the people that you met anyway in the Labour Party, including one Alistair Campbell? <laughs> If you ever had conversations with Alistair Campbell as he... So, like, we'll not name the seat I stood in, but it rhymes with Dorkney. Um, yeah, like, I don't know, like, I spoke with, like, loads of people in the Labour Party, um, Ed Miliband, Alistair Campbell, um, the MP in Aberdeen South I worked for for quite a while. Um, and, like, yeah, like, I suppose the people in uh, the northeast of Scotland were pretty working class, to be fair to them. They were, like, normally older i suppose like the the kind of demographic of the labor party was really worrying to them at the time they thought there was going to be this massive collapse of funding when all the members died when i stood for election most of the people that were helping out with that were over 65. Um, my campaign manager initially was a guy called shit, what was his name i think it was graham i know it was Graham. he was like lovely really nice guy um but he was like a retired vicar and um a total comrade don't get me wrong like the only thing that woke this man up in the morning um was like trying to like help people like that's what just animated this dude totally was just helping people um and yeah he was really nice um eventually like this kind of slightly younger guy took over from him um because he had to like go to to do something and um yeah they were they were fairly working class as well i think they were you know a solid bunch of people and the parliament in the parliamentary party, most of them are middle class, like Ed Miliband, I think, I, I suppose he doesn't even pretend he's like working class, does he? He's at least self-aware to know that would piss people off. David Miliband was just like another Tony Blair, I suppose. Alistair Campbell was, I think, I'm not sure, I think he's pretty working class. Um, he was further left than Blair, but he just did not give a shit about his own politics. He just thought, I've got a job to do, my job is to get anything done that Tony wants. Um, so like, he didn't really kind of see himself as like necessarily a political figure, which is ironic given like his colossal influence on politics. But what did he think of working class people? Was he a uh, pretty, did he fetishize? He didn't fetishize them. He must've had a, did he have a view they're all idiot plebs? I think his, um, I think his view was like not that grounded. Like there's this like cliche in politics that the men are interested in war and, you know, foreign policy and shit like this. And it's the female parliamentarians who tend to deal with things like the Department for Work and Pensions, um, reforms in education, like these kind of things um, tend to be the female MPs. And Alistair Campbell like, totally fit that model. 
He was more interested in starting wars um, than otherwise. When I spoke to him about Gordon Brown losing the election, he, he said to me, the fucking fucker fucked the fucking thing, which was like parody level, thick of it style swearing. But like that's just all his mind was on, was just like strategy and winning elections. He just didn't seem to give a shit about anything else. Um, I don't but, know if that's disappointing, sorry. But, but he, like, lost, he, he lost the election to some degree because he met a bigoted woman who was a working class woman. But that, so, that was Gordon Brown, yeah. Yeah, no, but, but he called, he, well, he didn't call her out. He should have called her out at the time. But I mean, if he had, like, does anyone remember that? that went back in Buffy, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I remember. I mean, he should have owned that when he came out and, like, because he was caught on camera. I agree. Bigoted women. Yeah. And then, like, people were like, oh, you can't say that. And you should have just gone, no, I, she was. She's a she dick. The thing is, she was a fucking bigoted woman. Yeah. <laughs> I completely agreed with him on that. But that's that's why like that sort of politics only takes you so far because it is inauthentic, and so then you just catch yourself, and not but you can't get out because you're trying to appease everyone, and so you know the old Adam is you don't appease anyone, and a lot of this comes down to like identity politics 101 because you know if you do identity politics at university they're going to sit you down and they basically or they should do anyway because this is what happened when i did it at university and they basically went here look how do you not fetishize someone you realize that they're complicated people and so just because you're in a minority doesn't mean that you're not going to be an asshole because everyone has the right to be an asshole and some people are and some people aren't just because you're black or gay or this, that, and the other, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be a whooping dickhole. And it's the same with the working class. Like you, We have the right to be good and bad people because we're complicated like everyone else. You have to fit into this, this neat framework or otherwise you just, you just fall out of people's comprehension. Yeah. I think one, one thing that really annoys me, especially with the, the kind of the way you have to fit into a certain archetype is that working class culture is the most diverse by virtue of the fact that there's more working class people than anywhere else. It's, it's so massively underrepresented that it, it's almost like if, if you aren't a certain kind of person in this country, you might as well not exist. Talk about Keir Starmer for it. If, if he was genuinely working class, like, he's supposed to be, like I get told that he is. I mean, I, I think his his working class credentials are long behind him by virtue of the fact of the jobs that he's done. If, Which working class people do you know sit down with the head of MI5? Exactly. <laughs> but like, um, if, if he was really authentically, genuinely working class, I think he would stand up at Prime Minister Question Time and he'd just say to Boris Johnson, you're a fucking cunt, mate. I don't give a fuck what you're vulnerable is a fucking dickhead. Yeah. <laughs> but but wasn't there a movie back uh, James can probably probably know the name of the movie. It was a TV movie back in the late seventies, early eighties, where the Labour Party became like, like the leader became a like a working class minor and he won the election and then he there was I think it was like a very British coup, I think that that was called. And then he was there was a whole plot to get rid of him and it was kind of you know, and it was based somewhat on a reality that the army had actually dreamt up a scheme to get rid of a real Labour Party leader, maybe in the 60s. Do you remember that, James? Yeah, I know they tried to get rid of, was it Harold Wilson in his second term? Yeah. Like, that was very much like MI5, right? We are going to 
to do him in. And it was one of those, like, he was like basically saying this was happening. And people were like, no, no, you're just making it up. You're just paranoid. And much like in the Philip K. Dick um, of, of life, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that they're not out to get you. But yeah, I don't know the film that you're talking about, but a British miner becoming prime minister would be called something like baby prime minister. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> I you know that story about Harold Wilson going to get the meal with the Queen, and like because every like prime minister gets to have a meal with the Queen. I say gets to is forced to have a meal with the Queen. And Harold, someone said to Harold Wilson, "What do you want to eat?" Like the palace is asking, "What you want to eat?" And Harris Har- <laughs> Wilson responded, "I'll have um, a pie, beans, and chips." And they said, "You can't, you can't have a pie, beans, and chips." And he was like, "Look, I want a fucking pie, beans, and chips. Like that's what I want. You ask me what I want, that's what I want." And they, they refused to put the order through. What does that? I mean, so I mean, we don't need to kind of tread on on kind of ground we've 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 already talked about in terms of like Britain's a fucking mess of a caste system. But I mean, what I kind of find most interesting about it is like, why is the labour movement in Britain? And maybe James talks about this for all the time. Why is the labour movement in Britain not a labour movement in Britain? James, I think it's really important to get across. This is true in America as well, uh, from my understanding, but it's the um, the decoupling from class, from your financial situation to class being a cultural signif- like sig- signifier. And that has fucked everything because now there's people that are basically, you know, are working class, struggling to pay rent, struggling to put food on the table, but they count themselves as you know middle class because they went to to you know high school, have a broadly okay accent, and they like to go to um, the art gallery at the weekend. Wherein there's guys that you know maybe were working class originally and fucking own like sixteen houses, uh, but go around going, "Oh, I'm working class." Me, we need to redefine what it means to be working class and what it means to be middle class. That's where labor finds itself in because it's it's labor in the UK is always fighting a cultural war and it is never fighting an economic war. And that's why it's a completely useless um, institution. I think to some degree as well, it's the fact that there's no real liberal party in this country anymore. And that a lot of what should be liberal middle class leaning people have found their, their, their selves in the Labour Party by default. Some people join the Labour Party just because they think that they're not cunts. But that just because you're in the Labour Party doesn't mean that you're not an <laughs> asshole. This really needs to get across. Like, in fact, I think it's pretty much the opposite. If you are in Labour, you're probably just fucking pointless. And if there's anyone that's listening to this that's still in the Labour Party, will you just fucking leave, please, and Thanks. stop about them yeah, don't give them your money i, I mean, suppose it's easy when like you don't have loads of time to go researching like or like thinking about um like really big political concerns and like if a party is presented to you as being like the left-wing progressive party for working people um and you don't have like the time or the mental energy to go and critically assess that it's easy to see how so many people are i don't want to say tricked because that's patronizing but like basically tricked into joining the Labour Party. It's like, it takes a lot of like cognitive load off you to just join the Labour Party. Most people in the Labour Party are like stepmoms in pornography films. They're just stuck <laughs> in the couch and they can't get out. 
I mean, the thing I think that's more important there is that, okay, well, we know, we talked about it in the episode before last, why is it that so many public school boys are in fucking Labour, Lib Dems, back in Conservative Party? But, you know, they, it is the way it is, and the culture is dominated by the upper class and by a middle class who don't really want to hold on to their property and and fetishize working class culture. We, we kind of, we get that. How you get around that, like, how would you even attempt, and maybe Will can talk about this because he, he works with a lot of kids from working class background. How do you get the sense of confidence and... I suppose the only way you can get around being objectified and fetishized and despised is to try and have some self-confidence in yourself. Like, how do you talk to your kids and try and say, no, you're not, you know, a piece of shit. You're not scumbag. You need to, you know, like, how do you even get around that type of conditioning so you can be more assertive and say, well, fuck you. I'm going to be the leader of the Labour Party. It's really, it's really difficult to try and give, like, these kids a sense of confidence. Um, like, without meaning to brag in a humble or not humble way i'm a pretty popular teacher in my school um i don't really have many behavior problems because most kids got on with me and i think the reason is is that i try my hardest to empower them like i spend a lot of time trying to build up their confidence and their self-esteem and the way i normally do that is firstly i praise effort before i praise results so like if a kid's like putting like a lot of effort into work we'll see look i really admire like how much effort you're putting into that work I don't praise results because like kids come from different starting places and if you just praise results then firstly that's like a really capitalist notion of um success but like some people are like trying their hardest to like do well and they, they won't do well and sometimes they won't do well because of problems that are not of their making right um the amount of like working class people i know that work like three or four jobs that are like busting their arses and they still can't like pay the rent um it's like phenomenal. Like the te the cleaners in my school, every single one of them has about two or three jobs. They normally work in catering as well. And these are not wealthy people. Um, and it's not their fault they're not wealthy. So I suppose like making kids more aware of like their economic in the broadest sense, like socioeconomic background, I find really helpful. Um, encouraging kids to disagree with me, I find really helpful as well. So I tell kids like, my my viewpoint's my viewpoint and you should go and check it for yourself and if you disagree with me you should say and then i don't punish them when they do that some teachers say that and then when a kid disagrees with them or challenges them um they kind of come down really hard on that kid i never do like i'm always just like right that's a really great viewpoint why don't we think about it and i suppose like trying to make my classroom a safe space not in that woke way but like a safe space for like disagreement with me who i suppose to them i'm an authority figure and builds up their confidence that maybe authorities aren't like the be all and end all of everything. Um, I try and do that in a small way. I don't know if it works. Um, I suppose we'll know in a few years if one of them becomes leader of the Labour Party. I doubt the Labour Party will exist in, in <laughs> even more than the UK would exist. I, I'd be doubtful the Labour Party is going to survive, at least as, as it was historically. I don't know if that answers any of the questions about like how you know about fetishization and, and the working class. I suppose it's just a, a more of a, a general conversation. I can't I mean, believe George Orwell only got one mention in this, like down and out in Paris and London, like on Wigan Pier is worse. I was gonna, I was going to bring him up, but you beat me to it. <laughs> down and out in Paris and London is a good book, and I I will hold that. That's the only thing that I'll give that little snitching bitch any <laughs> respect for. But it is that like Jarvis Cocker thing, right? Of like, what was the line in Common People? If you called your dad, you can stop it all. Like that is literally George Orwell in that book. Yeah, exactly. And I swear right. that is what he did. Yeah, I think that that song is 
it's such an accurate summarization of that mindset. It, it, I, I fucking love that song just for the fact that it addresses something that no one else addresses. And not only does it address it, it addresses it succinctly and fucking perfectly. Can I bring up a very, it's a really quick point, which is that that song is based on Yanis um, um, Varoufakis's current wife. Yes, I knew she, that. <laughs> yep. So that, if that doesn't bring up the idea of fetishizing the working class, uh, that the communists and socialists from an upper class background fetishize the working class, nothing will. Yeah, he's married to that. Shit, is that true? I didn't realize that. It's, it's true. Her, her her name is Denai. I can't. Remember. I don't know her surname, but he's she's married to uh, Yanis Varoufakis. That kind of leads to Britpop was maybe sort of the last real working class thing that happened in the UK. Uh, apart from, say, like, grime music, which is basically in such a fucking delay. Like, what is it? Stormzy got a Grammy, like, last year or something like that. and But he's, like, been kicking about for fucking ages. <laughs> so I was, I was listening to grime in the early nothing space. Yeah, so it's taken so long for it to, to actually get anywhere in, like, the press. Brit, Britpop, as much as I hate it, like, I do like pulp. I mean, I've got soft spots for people here and there, but I mean, even within them, Blur are all middle class wankers. Yeah, um, and they were parading as you know the lads that are from working class backgrounds, um, and so even then, in that last sort of hurrah of um, of working class culture, even though it spent most of its time looking backwards, like even then you had the 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 middle class insurgency. But I mean, in terms of is there a way to see even like something like Brexit for all of its problems? I know Brexit is actually a much more complicated thing. Some of the people in our upper class, middle class, whatever. But is there any way of looking at this kind of attempt, uh, inchoate kind of illiterate attempt by some people in a working class from a working class background to have some type of control over their lives as, um, I don't know, like some type of agency. I don't know if that's a stupid thing to say. It's it's definitely a fuck you. I mean, I don't agree with it because I think in the process of saying fuck you, you're fucking yourself. But it's there's definitely that underlying sense of, you know what, you don't give a shit about us. We'll just fuck your plans up. There's definitely that about it. There's no no two two ways about it in my mind. That the, the major driving force behind Brexit, which if you wanted to stop it, could have been addressed in those four years between the referendum and, well, three three so years between the referendum and the last election. There was no attempt to address it. So it wasn't it wasn't going to go away. There's this idea, though, that Brexit was a working class thing, which is complete fucking bollocks because it's a middle class thing. Yeah. Are you telling me Aaron Banks and Nigel Farage are not indicative of the overall working people of the UK? <laughs> Anyway, Nigel Farage drinks room temperature beer. That's the most English. <laughs> oh, hey, you leave real ales out of this, okay? If, um, if he was really working class, he'd be drinking cans of Carlin. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no, like Brexit is a good example of like working class pressure groups because it was like it wasn't the work, it wasn't a working class movement that brought it. It was done through political channels. By people that you know worked in banks and you know worked in certain sectors that at the weekend were able to um, fund pressure groups. 
like to say it's a worker class thing again it's just like to couch it to make it seem more like it's authentic where it's not it was a political design the remain folk just basically were outmaneuvered by a much much smarter enemy yeah i mean I don't see anything really coming out of it, uh, Brexit for the working class in England. Uh, I mean, it's almost like we had the last episode was about the breakup of the UK. I mean, I'd be much more optimistic, though not hugely optimistic about working class kind of uh, kind of agency in Scotland. I just don't see much hope in England for Brexit resulting in, 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 in a better condition for working class people. I don't see in the Labour Party. I really don't see... I think a bit like it's maybe has to be a bit like what happened with African Americans. They have to uh, working class English people have to find a way to see a way forward. And I just don't see that there's any type of confidence there. There's no seems to be no positive uh, uh, like way forward for English working class people. So they're going to remain a, an item that's fetishized and simultaneously despised. And maybe they simultaneously despise themselves and fetishize themselves too. I don't know, that's a kind of depressing end to the podcast. But we're going to say goodbye now because Will is leaving for his dinner. Um, Bye. (laughs) Will. And uh, we'll say goodbye from James as well. I wonder what he's having for his dinner. Something very middle class, I imagine. Very. Red Bull. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a bowl. I'm having crab with Red Bull. (laughs) He probably won't listen to this, so he probably won't hear this bit as well. Dan, I'll say goodbye to you and in your depressed working class state. Uh, I'm not too bad today. Oh, well, you, you, you have a plan to get out of working classdom. Um, or at least English working classdom. God, everyone's going to go to Iceland. That's where to be. Um, and it's going to be about, goodbye from me. Uh, we don't know what we'll be talking about next week. Tune in to find out, I suppose. But that that's us. Bye. Bye.